Go ahead and grab a seat, everybody. Good morning. Uh, so good to see you. And especially if you're new, and I'm feeling like this is like super hot, hot mic. Hot mic, Shelly. Um, everybody, that's Shelly in the back. She's awesome. Just do it on the fly because that's what we do. We do it on the fly. Um, so grateful you're here. If you're new, we're just really grateful you're here because it takes a lot of courage to come to a place like this for the first time. So, um, hey, we've got a number of things to communicate to you, uh, really, really cool things. Um, so as we do that, though, we're going to take our offering. And so if you're new, you can let that kind of float past you. Uh, no, no weird feelings there. Um, this is for th- those who uh, that give here on Sunday morning at our church. They call this their church home. So I'm glad, grateful you can be a part of it. Hey, a few months back, we shared with you. I saw that, Evelyn. We shared with you. She spilled her water right then. Um, we sh- see, you can't get past. I mean, I will point things out. It's one of those days. Um, a, a, a couple of months ago, we shared with you that um, we announced that Jessica and Janelle, our two children's directors, co-children's directors, were stepping down. They were moving out of children's uh, ministry leadership, and they have been for almost three years now uh, running the show in such a way that our children's ministry has exploded. Uh, they have done a great job of, of loving on our volunteers. Many of you are in this room. Um, they have done an incredible job visioning and loving on kids. And But here's the thing. They are super, super valuable people, and both of their jobs require a lot more of them now because people have figured out that they're high capacity. So they are pulling back from leading children's. We shared this with you a few months ago. We sent out a search. Uh, we sent, uh, we po- posted the job numerous places. We got a bunch of resumes. We got some really weird ones. Um, we, <laughs> we got some, <laughs> just being honest, we got some really capable ones. Um, we, we just had a long search. The leadership team, we've had an interview team. Um, but the great news is, and we got to do what we were really praying to do, and that is hire some, someone from inside our community. And so I am super pumped to announce that we are hiding, hiring Katie Nyman, um, hiding her too. No, we're hiring Katie Nyman. And Katie, will you stand up? Katie and Cameron, stand up. It's just so awesome. Yes. And um, that's perfect. Thank you, guys. And so you'll get to know Katie. If you don't know Katie and Cameron yet, you just... They're about to be potentially homeless, depending on their house situation. But so you can, they could live at your house and you could really get to know them or you have them over for dinner, um, whatever. And here's the cool part about this is that like Jessica and Janelle are super pumped about Katie. It's going to be this great transition over the next month. So Katie starts May 1st. Uh, Jessica and Janelle finish at the end of May. So they got a month together. And then we're going to celebrate Jessica and Janelle officially in June. Um, kind of an open house after church thing. Um, so if you're traveling every weekend in June, you're going to miss it. Um, we just don't know which weekend it is yet. So we will sneak that on you um, as soon as we know. But it's just really exciting news. And so uh, make sure to talk to Katie and introduce yourself to Katie and Cameron. Make sure to love on Jessica and Janelle. Is Janelle still over there? What a 
turkey. Um, so we're just, uh, we're just excited about that transition, that news. Also, a couple other things happening. Um, many of you have talked to a few people who are interested in being baptized. And so uh, baptism is just a, a, it's just a really powerful moment. Um, it just historically, all the way back, um, it's, it's a way of symbolizing. It's the symbol of, of dying to your old self and, and resurrection. And so if, if you've never done baptism before, if you're a follower of Jesus, apprentice of Jesus, and, and that's never really been something you've done, we would love to talk to you about that. I would love to talk to you about that personally. We're trying to schedule uh, a time to do that uh, this, uh, this summer, probably in June. So we'd love to talk to you. A uh, couple other things. There's a women's retreat coming up in November. <laughs> and so here's the thing. I was told to announce that. Mandy, don't be mad at me. But here's the reason why is we totally were late to the party last year. And so what we do around here is we partner with a lot of different churches for a lot of different things. It's just kind of our heart. And so this women's retreat we're going to do, it's in November, and we told you guys about it way too late last year. So the, we, we vowed that the second we found out about it, we would tell you about it. And this is the second second after that second. And so we want you to know it's on our website. You can sign up. It will fill up fast. So if you're interested in doing it, you know, you got to get, you got to get elbows going and get in there. Okay. So um, let you know about that. It's in November. It's on our website. Global 6K is next Saturday. If you sign up by tomorrow, you'll actually get all your racing gear, your shirt, your number, everything in the mail to you before the race. So I would encourage you to do it. There's already almost 200 people signed up for this. Um, a bunch of different churches are banding together for this. Um, if you want to wear your children out on Saturday morning, Make them run 3.8 miles, okay? And, and if they quit halfway through, it's okay. You can still put that sticker on your car. Then you can, that was for you, Ben. Then, then you can just head back. And here's the thing. Like, this is a huge, huge uh, fundraiser for, uh, for water projects. And um, we would just love for you to be a part of it. So how cool is all that? We're all done? I think we're all done. We're all done. I got the thumbs up. Let me pray. Let's get started. God, we're thankful to be together. We're thankful to be talking about eating with Jesus again. We're thankful for what this is actually doing um, in our community. God, we're um, expectant. We're looking forward to, to what you do with um, the ways you are uh, moving in us as a community. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Uh, so here's the thing behind all the smiles, um, despite all the access to entertainment that our world and our community has, despite how conveniences are like better than ever, uh, we talked about a little bit about this last week, despite all this progress and all this, uh, connectivity and all the distractions we have. Uh, people are still not happy. In fact, um, studies have shown, and I shared this last week, that uh, just general public happiness continues to go down and down and down and down and down. And um, the thing is that it's even in the church. And for a lot of people, uh, we live with 
if we're honest, we live with a kind of low-grade anxiety and maybe even a chronic bit of depression in our lives. Um, and we just, it's just the new normal for us. We just live that way. We just kind of grit our teeth and get through it. And when we think of Jesus, a lot of times we don't think of Jesus as um, anything but a serious person, like a serious guy. Um, Jesus was all business all the time. And, and, and we don't think that Jesus has much to say about joy. In fact, we get this from a lot of our um, really kind of millennia and over millennia of artwork. Most artwork, and I won't show you, and I was just scrolling through pictures and portraits and, and artistic renderings of Jesus, and Jesus looks sad all the time. Like there's never a happy Jesus. Even that, you know, that classic 70s Mormon Jesus picture that you see in a lot of churches, he's still not that happy. He's, he's white, which is weird because um, <laughs> we won't get into that. <laughs> the point is, is that many of us have a hard time wrapping our head around Jesus being full of joy. It's not something we normally gravitate to. And yet the prophet, prophet Isaiah says that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy more than any uh, of his companions. Uh, and it's this beautiful prophecy, this beautiful uh, idea through the, uh, the lens of Isaiah. G Eugene Peterson interpreted that as saying Jesus was the happiest person alive. And what's interesting is that over and over again in the Gospels, you see people like John and, and, and Paul, they quote that or they lend kind of an allusion to a quote of that in um, their writings. And the problem is, is that most of us don't look at Jesus as a very joyful, happy person. But check out John chapter 2. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Hint, hint. Woman, why do you involve me? Which is probably one of my favorite things that Jesus ever said. <laughs> my hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for the, by the Jews for ceremonial washing. This has a lot of significance, but we won't get into it. Each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. I love that. Just all the way to the top. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. That would have been pretty fun to be them. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. And I love how the, the bridegroom doesn't like dismiss this. Like he doesn't say, what? No, he like kind of goes with it. He's like, yeah, you're right. 
this is, the, this is the really important verse here. It says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And we're going to camp on that verse. And this is a well-known story. I'm sure you've heard it. If you haven't heard it, um, welcome to planet Earth. It's like even, even non-church folk know this story or have heard of it. The idea behind this, though, in verse 11, as we get, is this is the first of the signs. Now, that's code language, meaning this is the first of the pointers to this new reality of Jesus. A sign is a pointer of a new reality. And, and then the word glory is we get confused with the word glory. Um, we seem to think it has something to do with fame or celebrity status or ability Glory in the library of scripture actually means God's presence and his, per, and his person. Um, so glory, the glory of God in the Old Testament usually showed up, like think back to the people of Israel, usually showed up in a cloud, a cloud uh, enveloping the temple or the tabernacle. Or you remember when they were following the pillar of fire, the cloud in the, in the daytime and the pillar of fire at night, that was God's presence. So when the cloud was there, God was there. And so this, what this meant was, this was the, the God's presence, God's glory. That was the origin point of his voice. Does that make sense? The origin point of God's voice. And so what John is saying here in verse 11, and this is really, really cool. This is a pointer. This is a sign to the reality of what God is like. This is a sign. This is one of the first of the signs to the reality of what God was like. So think back to the story. Think about this. Jesus was on the top of the invite list to the party, right? Uh, turns out Jesus liked to be at parties and people liked him. Um, and he not only goes to the party, he stays in the party, at the party a very long time, okay? He's there past when the wine runs out, kind of a party guy. Which, I don't know if you guys know, do you guys know Randy McNeil? Where's Randy? Is Randy here? Dang it. Randy's on our teaching team. Whenever you have a party and you invite Randy to it, Randy's usually the last ones to leave. Randy just loves hanging out. He's a lot like Jesus like this, right? That's like the only way he's like Jesus, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> I say that because he's not here and, I, and he's going to hear it sometime. So here's the thing, like Jesus was at the top of the list. He goes to the party. He's there for a really long time. And when the wine, the wine runs out, he doesn't leave. He makes more. And what John is saying is that is what God is like. This is a pointer to who the reality of Jesus is in his glory, the origin point of his voice. Is it any wonder that joy is one of the central teachings of Jesus as the gospel of John goes on, check this out. John 15, 11, it says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Not partial, complete. Then he goes on, he says in John 16, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Your joy will be full. Uh, John 17, this is John, uh, Jesus' prayer. He says, 
I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may be, they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Jesus was a very joyful person. And I don't think we've gotten that. I think we've missed that. And so from, from Jesus, we learn, I think, two really important realities. First, we learn that God is the most uh, joyful being in all of the universe. And, and we get this, this is a little theology 101. But if we believe, like Hebrews says, that, that Jesus is the exact representation of God, that Jesus is the embodiment of God, in Jesus, we see who God is. And if Jesus is full of joy and happy and the most joyful person alive, then we can understand that God is a joyful being. And so on page one of scripture, we see that God sung the universe into existence, that God breathed out creative words and they, they created uh, whatever your idea and, and reading of Genesis is. This is beautiful picture of God full of pent up love, peace and joy, and it overflows and it leaks out into all of creation. It's just a beautiful picture, a beautiful image. And at the center of the universe is, is a God who is full of joy. So real quick, a little audience participation. Would you close your eyes for a second? Um, you don't have to, but you can. Think of the most beautiful place you've ever been in your life. Okay? The most beautiful place you've ever been. Now I want to hear some of them. So, yell a few out. Beautiful place you've ever been. Bali. Bali. Australia. Australia. Where, where? Ego. Iguazu Falls. That, that's awesome. Where's that? Um, Peru. Peru. Man, you guys are real travelers. Argentina, is that what you said? Okay, Australia, Bali, Argentina. Anywhere else? Anyone else want to top that? You know? Hawaii, Hawaii. Nice. Anywhere else? Rocky Mountains in the fall. We'll just go with the fall. It's going to snow for what, three days now? Come on now. <laughs> Anywhere else? Anywhere else? Real quick. Iceland. Nice. And Santorini. This church gets around. <laughs> Dang, New Zealand. All right. It's good places. Now, think of the most, I want you to close your eyes and think of the most happiest moment of your life. It might be being in one of those places, but think of one of the most happiest moments of your life. And now share with me, happiest moments. Honeymoon. Honeymoon. She's not even here. You didn't even get the elbow. Nice. Childbirth or ch after the... All the way through. All right. Birth of children. You got it. Anywhere else? Any, anybody else? Happiest moment of your life? Christmas tree farm the day after Thanksgiving. Yes. And notice how it wasn't before Thanksgiving. I want to make sure... We're clear on this. Ha okay, gotcha, yeah. 
Anybody else? Happiest moment of your life? Last night. Okay. <laughs> On to the second round. We beat the Spurs. Love it. All right. So here's the thing. There was an exercise in a little bit of joy, a little bit of beautiful place, you know, all that kind of stuff. Whatever, whatever God's relationship is with space and time. And theologians um, kind of debate this. But think for sure there is no place that God is not. Okay? So think about that. There's no place that God is not. So that beautiful place that comes to mind, that memory that you were in for a day or a week, and, and you're finite, and all you have is that moment with that camera <laughs> and that Instagram, you know, in that spot. But think of God is, there's no place where God is not. And so think about that happiest day at that moment. Think about that moment right now. Think about God being in that moment with you, enjoying it. Uh, My 16th birthday, uh, I don't remember much about being 16, okay? Like specific stuff. But I remember this day, my 16th birthday, I got to climb Half Dome in Yosemite National Park, which is the most beautiful place in America. Um, and I didn't climb the, this side. I climbed, climbed to this side, okay? So I'm not like that. But um, you climb up the back of Half Dome and you have to get up there by a certain time because thunderstorms roll in and you get struck by lightning. You get it. But up there, you could see, I mean, it was unbelievable. And yes, we did that thing where the edge, Right? And you, you know what I'm saying? You get down, you, you don't do this at Half Dome. You don't do that unless you're an idiot. But you get on your hands and knees and you crawl up there and you cannot get low enough and you just peek your head off. I mean, it's just like the most unbelievable experience. And the reason why, I mean, I think about that moment, I think about like God was in that day. He was the joy, the wonder, the awe, the the, the might, the fear, the, all of that wrapped into it. Now, you're thinking people, and so you're saying, okay, there's a flip side to this too, isn't there? Theologically, right? If God is in the most beautiful place, in the most wonderful place, at the most wonderful moments of our lives, then God is then therefore also in a slum in Calcutta, in a work camp in North Korea, um, in, a, in a painful, fiery wreck on I-70 this week. He is there and he's feeling all of that pain and that grief and that trauma. Isaiah, before Isaiah said that Jesus would be anointed with the joy, the oil of joy, more than all of his companions. Right before it, he said that all the joy stuff, he said that he would be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. It's a both and, right? And the older I get, I'm not, I, I don't quantify years as good years and bad years. I, there's just good and bad mixed in, right? And God feels both, but God is clear that all the sadness... And all the pain, that stuff will one day be gone, okay? 
we celebrate the resurrection like last week and every week, that, that joy is forever. And one day all that stuff is gone. And so theologically, God is love. God is not, we don't read God is sadness. God is um, depressed. God is, we read that God is love and joy and peace. And, and we have this weird tension that we, we live in the midst, right? Of these two worlds, the world that is coming and the world that is going away. The second thing we need to know is this, and this is super, super important as we head forward. God's plan for your life is to grow and mature you into the kind of person who is as joyful as he is. Okay? Now, Jesus was Jesus's prayer was that they would have the full measure, he said, of my joy within them. Have you ever had a time in your life when you've had so much joy, you just, you just felt like there was no capacity for more? That, this, this measure of joy. And, and ultimately what Jesus is saying is joy is an overall condition of the heart. And we get confused on what the heart is. But the heart, according to scripture, is this trifecta of our thinking, of our feeling, and of our will all mixed together. So the idea of what you think about, what you fixate on, what is in your mind all the time, uh, kind of has an effect on what you feel. And then this idea of our will, what we desire, right? What, what, is, um, what is driving us? What is, what is behind who we are? And so his plan is not to get you, and you need to hear this because you, you hear weird sermons sometimes about joy and happiness, God's plan for you isn't so read your Bible and go to church and I'll drop a joy water balloon on you, okay, in those moments, okay? And, and I think that sometimes we infer that, like, I got to read my Bible, I got to pray, I got to go to church so I can get joyful. No, 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 no. God wants to grow you into the kind of person who is joyful all the time. Like he wants to curate your heart in such a way that the, the, the life that you live, uh, whether you're answering 900 emails or uh, changing another diaper or stuck in traffic, that, that you are a different joyful kind of person within that because of what God is changing you into. Does that make sense? And so that's what is so important for us. He doesn't want to dump joy bombs on you. He wants you to be kind of person that is a pleasant, at peace, joyful man and woman all the time. And, and, and to curate that, it, cultivating a heart of your inner self is at the center of what it looks like to apprentice Jesus. That's at the center of it. So how do we do this? Well, it's a discipline. It's a discipline. It's a spiritual discipline of celebration. And um, we get this word rejoice. We're going to jump into uh, Philippians here in a second. This word rejoice is actually the word, uh, the verb form of the noun joy. To joy is basically. And actually, it's better translated plurally. Like, meaning to celebrate with other people. To rejoice is actually to celebrate with other people. And the semantic idea of the word is actually a meal, a feast, or a party. 
And we'll get into that here in a second. But most of us think of joy, we don't think of it as a discipline at all. We think of it as something that happens to us, right? Like this happens, so therefore I'm joyful and I need to have other things happen to me. That's not what this is. This is actually a spiritual discipline of joy, of rejoicing. Look at Richard Foster. If you've never read Richard Foster, I would encourage you to do so. He says, the decision to set the mind, okay? Set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. That is why celebration is a discipline. It's not something that falls on our heads. Water balloon. It is a result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. And so the beauty of this way, it's not rocket surgery, right, Ben? It's, it's, it's this thinking and living. It's thinking, right? It's, it's like setting your mind on joy. You can't will it, but you can set your mind on it. And we may not, here's the thing. We may not have control of our emotions, okay? But we do have control of what we think about. And what we think about, uh, we have control over our thought life. And generally what comes from our thought life, uh, we experience in an emotion. And so we don't have necessarily control of the emotions like stop feeling angry, right? Like you don't have that control, but you do have control on what you think. So for instance, for example, on the negative side, if you have an iPhone or whatever else there is, and you wake up to an alarm on your phone, like most of us do. Does anybody have those old alarm clocks with the little flip, the, the numbers that still flip digitally? If you do, I would love to have it because I don't like waking up to my iPhone because here's what I do with my iPhone. I wake up to my iPhone and then I start doing stupid things like reading the news or checking email. You know, and some of you are like, oh my gosh, the boss is already up. He's already emailing me. Um, Look what happened here. Um, The news feed just starts. And so then the phone begins to curate your heart to start your day. On the positive side, if you you begin to think about God, I have a friend of mine that has this great um, discipline in his life where he puts the phone 8.30 at night, it goes in a box, it's turned off, it goes into a box in a cupboard. And at 8.30 in the morning, it comes out. Like 12 hours without it. And he's like, he's, he was telling me, he's like, if you think about God, if you think about God's goodness, think about the resurrection, our feelings follow our thinking. So pointers to God, making all things new, the kingdom breaking into the present. We get to be, be, like curate our heart with that stuff versus, oh, cool. Uh, it's, an, it's not even the election year and it's the election year, right? It's like, let's all just, wow. Philippians 4, Paul says, rejoice, celebrate together in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. That's his way of saying, this is super important. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Here's his idea behind that. When you celebrate, when you celebrate that the Lord is good, uh, you tend to become gentle. And here's, here he says, he, this is how it starts. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts. Remember that idea of curating our hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about those things. Fill your mind with those kinds of things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace, and this isn't like a, our version of peace. This is like this deep, pervasive sense of well-being. Shalom will be with you. Paul says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I think there's three things that Paul says in here really quickly. This idea of surrendering the illusion of control that we think we have over to God is very involved in this, right? We think we're really in control. I think we really have a handle on everything. And it's this idea of practicing release and letting go of control. Second thing he talks about is giving thanks. That we work gratitude into everything. Like to every fiber of our being, like, like to find, like push, practice gratitude in our lives. He says with thanksgiving in there. And I think the third thing, and this is really important, is that focus our attention on all that is good in the world. Paul goes through this list of if, everything, if anything is this, is anything noble, is anything right, let's, let's, let's focus on the pure, focus on the lovely, focus on the admirable, let's focus on those things. But the mind, here's the thing, it naturally gravitates, okay, to negativity and fear, like our minds do this. Call it the sin nature or call it the science behind it, neurobiology. And we learn that it says that we have a penchant, we have a, we have a penchant to focus on the bad things. So for instance, you hear nine great things throughout your day, nine encouragements, nine, nine applauses, nine all those things in your life. But somebody says one thing kind of sideways. What are you thinking about when you put your head down on your pillow? You're thinking about that one thing, like, well, they really mean that? Well, what if, yeah, those are the things that happen to us. It's like that nine-tenths rule. Listen to N.T. Wright. He says this. This is great. He says, the command in verse 8 that we just read, to think about all the wonderful and lovely things listed here, runs directly opposite to the habits of the mind instilled in us by the modern media. Read the newspapers. Their stock in trade is anything that is untrue, unholy, unjust, impure, ugly, of ill repute, vicious, and blameworthy. It, is that a true representation of God's good and beautiful world? How are you going to celebrate the goodness of the creator if you feed your mind only on the place in the world which humans have made ugly? How are you going to take steps to fill your mind instead with all the things that God has given us to be legitimately pleased with and to enjoy and to celebrate? See, we have to discipline our minds 
We have to curate our hearts. And I'm not saying ignore bad news. I'm not saying stick your hand at your head into a hole. I'm just saying don't let your social media or your news feed curate your heart. Like, I have a friend of mine that has this uh, phrase that he, he, he says, win the day. And by win the day, he means uh, start your day in prayer. Start your day curating your heart in a different way. Um, and here's what's really exciting. So as a church, later in May, we're going to begin a series in prayer. We're actually going to go through the Lord's Prayer throughout um, May, June, end of May, June, July. Um, and we're hoping to become a community that wins the day, really, that begins to curate our heart and our mind and become be with Jesus to start. Um, so here's the, here's the really cool part at the end of John. John, fast forward, okay, you start at, at the wedding of Cana, you fast forward to the end of John, John 21. We're not gonna have this on the screen, but there's this moment where the disciples, this is after Jesus' death and resurrection, the disciples are in the boat fishing and Jesus kind of flags them down and they don't know it's him, you know, classic. And then he's already got a meal going. He's already got a celebration on the, on the beach. Has anybody campfire cook on the beach, right? I mean, what's greater than that? And Jesus is on the beach and he's got some, some coals going. He's got some fish. He's got some bread. You know, he's got, I don't know, some hummus. I don't know. And he's kicking it. He's waiting for the disciples and they have this meal together. It's this really powerful meal. And he calls Peter to something bigger and he, and he, he does something really, really profound. And it seems like meals are Jesus's go-to practice. And you're probably saying, yeah, Ryan, this sounds great. This sounds really New Testament-y. You know, this sounds really awesome, but it doesn't sound really Old Testament-y. Well, I'm glad you asked. As we finish, look at Deuteronomy chapter 14. This is a command through Moses. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, and other fermented drink. I love fermented drink. Or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall, shall eat Eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. So what's happening? So this is a tithe on top of a tithe. So there was a 10% tithe for the people of Israel to give to the Lord. But this is a whole different, this is a party tithe. Okay, so three times a year for a week, the people of Israel would gather together and throw a celebration, throw a party. And they would, here's, here's the crazy, think of the economics of this. Think about the economics of this in the room. On average, let's just say that on average, I know we have some poor YWAMers, um, but, but 
on average, let's say everybody in the room made like $50,000, dollars 40, $50,000. And 10% of that went to a party that we threw for ourselves three times a year. I mean, we're talking helicopters. We're talking like serious food. We're talking just bounce houses that like stretch as far. I mean, do you, do you get what I'm saying here? This was a command of God for his people to celebrate, to joy together, to be the kind of people who oozed joy and gladness and celebration. And it's a pointer. It's a pointer to the future. And we say this all the time. If you follow Jesus, if you're an apprentice of Jesus, you are a part of the people of the future. And here's, as we close, let me just say this. You say, yeah, Ryan, it's easy to celebrate when things are going good, right? But you have no idea what my life's been like. We've, and, and, uh, and I kind of do in the sense of we're a community. And so there's been a lot of, um, in this room this year, a lot of family, um, deaths and families and diagnosis and friends and pain and job loss and wave after wave. And so this might be, you might be hearing this and going, this doesn't apply to me. This doesn't apply to me because this year was really hard and there's no way I'm going to celebrate it. In uh, late 1930s, early 1940s, there was a theologian named Karl Barth. And Karl Barth um, led churches in Germany. And as the, the political climate began to change, if you read the rise and fall of the Third Reich or anything else, like you, you know that in the late 20s, early 30s, the political climate begins to change slowly and gradually. There were hundreds of political parties in Germany. And then all of a sudden, bursting onto the scene was the Nazi party. And the Nazi party began to uh, win the hearts of the church leaders in Germany. So much so there was a massive split in the churches in Germany. And this theologian, Karl Barth, and a few others uh, wrote something called the Barman Confession. And I would encourage you to look it up if it's not long. Um, it's interesting how history can repeat itself so many times. And he wrote a commentary, Karl Barth did, on Philippians. And this part specifically that we read today about rejoicing and joy. And here's what Karl Barth said. He said, joy is a continual defiant nevertheless. That's what he said. Joy in the midst of what Karl Barth is experiencing in his country, his country's going down the hill. Uh, the church is, seems to be siding with a, just an agenda that's like brutal and, 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 and horrific. And he says that joy is a continual defiant nevertheless. He said that joy is a tenacious act of the will. It's a tenacious act of the will. 
And so you might be hearing party, celebration, you might be hearing it from the language of our world. And in our world, a party and a celebration is an escape. Um, it's maybe an abuse of food and alcohol. It, 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 it's like where cool people go, or, or maybe you go to hide from God um, and, and you leave with a hangover or maybe something worse. Kingdom party, a kingdom celebration is where you go to celebrate, enjoy food. Uh, everybody's included. Uh, and Jesus has these conversations about wedding feasts that everybody's included. God's presence is there and you leave full of joy, full of thanksgiving, full of gladness. Listen, our practice as a, as a community has to be celebration, has to be joy together, has to be feasting together. Our Thursday night group this week is actually going to do Thanksgiving. It's going to be great in May. Is it May this week, Thursday? Thursday's May. Yeah. Thanksgiving. Turkey. The whole thing this week. And we're going we're gonna to celebrate. We're going to talk about how, how grateful we are, even in the midst of pain and sadness. To become like Jesus is to apprentice Jesus. And it's to become the most joyful person who ever lived. That is the trajectory that Jesus wants us to pull our lives into. A tenacious act of the will, a continual defiant nevertheless.